0: We are recording. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Hope you have all been well. Eric Nemchak here, back with you, alongside Stephen Trinkwell, back with you as well. Uh, Stephen, the free agency period, well, I don't want to say it's over, but I think the majority of the action is pretty much behind us now. So while we are waiting for the WNBA draft, still don't know when that is, Uh, fun stuff,
1: Uh, we thought we'd give out some uh, grades for the free agency period. Yep. I... uh completely unique piece of content brought to you only oh, yeah. by the, the Double Down WNBA guys here. Nobody uh, but, else <laughs> uh, Let's get started with Atlanta. Um, a I think an offseason that looked different than what a lot of people had anticipated kind of going into the free agency period.
0: Yeah, you know, a few teams on, on the list here, uh, I think, are good examples of opportunities presenting themselves during the free agency period that maybe weren't expected to be presented heading into it. Um, and Atlanta is definitely one of them. Um, I don't think, you know, looking at it, at it from afar, I don't think Atlanta had an exciting offseason, but they made moves that were probably necessary if they were to avoid another 2021, which is basically a dumpster fire. Um, of course, they traded Kennedy Carter to LA for Erica Wheeler, uh, the number 15 overall pick in 2022, and a first-run pick in 2023. Um, they also re-signed Monique Billings, Nia Coffey, or they resigned Monique Billings and Tiffany Hayes to one-year deals, and added Nia Coffey on a one-year deal as well. Um, what do you think here, Stephen? Like it, it doesn't sound exciting to me, but I think a lot of these moves were—I don't want to say inevitable—but they make sense.
1: So there were a lot of bigger names linked to the Atlanta Dream throughout, you know, late in the season and throughout the off-season. Tina Charles, Diamond DeShields, Shields, Maisha Hines Allen. Um, and they didn't they didn't land any of those players but you know w- what were those players really gonna do for th- this team and, and kind of right. the, the construct that they had so um you know some of the moves that they did end up making Nia coffee for example i, I like that a lot some of the moves I'm um, you know not as sold on uh, i i guess the pros for this team bringing in coffee although you know maybe they play her at the right position maybe they don't it, it's only a one- year deal. You know, letting go of of Courtney Williams and Kennedy Carter just to kind of reset, which I think it seems like this team really needed. Getting a 2023 first instead of a first this year, uh, a pick that might have a little bit more upside. You know, I think that's kind of in the pro column for this team. On the cons, you know, they, they did give Monique Billings, I think, more money than a lot of players that have been more productive than Monique Billings throughout her career. And they are kind of looking at, at an offseason, next offseason, where the books are kind of completely clean again. Maybe, maybe that's a pro, maybe that's a con, depending on kind of where this this team goes. But I think. Oh,
0: hold on, hold on, hold on. How is, how is giving Monique Buildings what they gave her this season a con if, if their books are clean hitting into next offseason?
1: Well, I mean, you're still, I guess, signing a player that I don't think is all that productive to okay. a decent amount of, of money relative to the cap. And, you know, the question just has to be, like, who, who was outbidding them for Monique Billings, I guess? Yeah, I guess you could say, you know, they they got to use that room somewhere. Um, but to me, you know, Billings just hasn't really been that good throughout her career. She was better definitely last year than, than in previous seasons, but, you know, still not a, a player I, I believe in totally and, and maybe when she hits unrestricted free agency. Uh, you know, she'll be gone here. But I I did want to say, you know, credit to this team for kind of embracing the full rebuild, right? They got a lottery pick coming up this draft in 2022. And maybe that will be kind of like the first real building block for the next good Atlanta Dream team. They'll almost certainly be in the lottery again in 2023. Unless, you know, Tanisha Wright is just, you know, one of the great coaches and kind of just, you know, greatly has this roster over-exceeding, you know, kind of the, uh, the talent, I guess, that, that's on this team. But I think part of the reason why I'm hesitant to believe that this team is really embracing the rebuild and that, you know, the process kind of led to these results and not that they really kind of got to these results on accident is they still paid some decent money to to kind of veteran players. You know, Tiffany Hayes on the one-year deal, Monique Billings, they brought in Erica Wheeler. There probably was maybe another move to be made to get another asset, whether it is from Dallas in a roster consolidation move or minnesota in a roster consolidation move you look at the kia stokes thing you know they wanted to bring in stokes and ended up having to trade for kia vaughn so that's a good point. there there are like some kind of indicators that this offseason maybe didn't go the way that they kind of wanted it to and they sort of just kind of ended up in this rebuild mode which i think is the right direction for this team but is it even kind of the way that they they wanted to do it
0: that's a good point both of the both of the Kia moves, that's that, that that's a good point. I hadn't considered that. How I approached this, looking at this, was um, you know, you mentioned uh acquiring that additional draft capital, which is I think undoubtedly a good move. So, like, if we're keeping it a buck here, the, the Kennedy Carter thing that was done, it was over. Like, um, I, I'm pretty sure you know they they had an op- they were probably looking to trade Kennedy Carter uh prior to when they actually did, but nobody really wanted to bite on that um so the fact that they were able to get uh, some pretty good draft capital for her was a good thing because as you mentioned this is probably going to be a lottery team again the reason why i don't have much of a problem with their free agency acquisitions um let's be honest 2021 this was one of the worst seasons for a wnba team um in recent memory because of the off-court stuff you know um new ownership came in um, and there was, you know, off-court incidents, uh, lengthy player suspensions, lots of drama on social media. Bad, bad, bad stuff.
1: I mean, they essentially had three head coaches, you know. I, yeah, I know the, Nikki Collin wasn't really even there for training camp, but she was, the off-season, the dust was settled by the time, you know, we we heard about the Collin thing.
0: Head coaching, carousel. Yeah, so that's, that's another thing to add on there. So my point where I'm going with this is, I think yes, you can you can do a rebuild by just straight out tanking, um, but I think that'd be pretty risky in this scenario because if you go scorched earth after last season, that would put the franchise in a pretty bad position. You know, I think that'd be a very difficult sell to fans. It'd be a very difficult sell um, to incoming free agents. You know, you, you, if you want to take a swing at a big name free agent, you gotta have a reason for that free agent to play there, right? Um, and you know. Re-signing, you know, Billings and Hayes, and, and and bringing in Coffee. I think those are some players who do have some respect around the league. They they're they're, they're tenured. Uh, they've got you know that I don't know how much stock you put into veteran leadership in this scenario, but the Dream are at least in a point where they may not be very good this season, but they're not going to be embarrassing themselves on and off the court on a regular basis either. So for that reason, I gave them a B. Um, not a particularly exciting off season, but again, I think a lot of their moves were probably necessary if they want to reset as you put it
1: yeah i was i was kind of in the b minus to c plus range and ended up going with the c plus just because again i i don't know you know how good the process was even if even if we kind of landed in the right result so a little bit lower than you but not dramatically so i think
0: okay uh would you like to move on to chicago
1: sure uh i'll start i mean i gave chicago an a for this offseason they lost some really good players but they brought in some some really good players as well you know they to lose Diamond and to lose Steph Dolson and to be in the position where you kind of thought like, okay, you know, maybe you bring one of those players back, and if you're able to do that, plus bring back, you know, the core sort of big three of free agents in, in Vanderquigs and 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 Kalea Copper, you know, you're you're probably not really bringing in another good player, and they they ended up bringing in misaman and Julie Alamon and Crystal Bradford and and. Those are, you know, three very productive players that I think there's a reasonable case that this is a better roster than the one that just won the championship. And we were kind of going into this offseason thinking they were kind of in a bind.
0: Yeah, uh, I would agree that this is a better roster than last season. You know, the results for last season were kind of weird because, you know, a 500 team winning it all. It's, it's like the ultimate case of, um, you know, a team getting hot at the right time. But, you know, I mean, the way Chicago's books were set up and how old their best players are. You know, the only real option was, uh, you've mentioned this several times already, was to put together as strong of a roster as they could and try to repeat as champs. And I think they did a marvelous job of that. Um, You know, like you said, kind of assuming that both the Shields and Dolson would be gone. um, But they replaced them with players who, if you don't think they're outright better, um, they're still pretty darn good fits in in, in Mieseman and Crystal Bradford. Um, you know, if, if you rent, if you went into the offseason ranking their free agents by order of importance, I think you would come to the conclusion that this guy did what they needed to do in order to retain their most important free agents. A lot of that had to do with some, uh, with the cap space. And they did a really good job of maneuvering under the cap to squeeze out just as much money for those unrestricted free agents as they could, you know, um, Bradford for, for just over the veteran minimum was a terrific move. I think you and I agree on that given her production last season, at least. Uh, trading for Julia Almond, you know, both a now and a future type of move. She'll be about $8,000 cheaper than the 2022 first-round pick that they that they punted, um, which makes me, like, I don't really care about that pick anymore anyway. Um, they locked up Kalia Copper for less than the Supermax that she was eligible for. So, long story short, I mean, they did what they had to do to remain competitive, which was quite a bit, without totally selling the farm. And, from for you know, in my
1: opinion, that's this is a home run offseason for this guy so i gave him an a plus i mean at the end of the day like they brought back their top five from last year they got a near consensus would say that they got a better player at one of the big spots in in emma Misaman. although i should say like there's a a reasonable chance that emma Misaman does not provide the level of productivity that dolson did last year just because dolson had you know maybe her best career of her season and and it's always possible to kind of have a down year and you know Misaman was a little down in 2020 with kind of overburdening herself on the offense but there's also a, a very good chance that misaman exceeds what Dolson did last year so misaman you know just from I think a a talent perspective you know she's a better player different but better um they got a better backup point guard you know undoubtedly a player that can kind of play with you know can actually run a second offense and, and play with your kind of you know your best players as well and there's a very reasonable chance I think that they got a player at the backup wing in Crystal Bradford who can just be more productive in that specific role than diamond to shields was. So yeah, I mean, yeah, a home run, like you said, and and that's, that's why we we both went for a's. So uh, I think we can move on to the Connecticut sun. Um, Why don't you start us off here? What'd you think?
0: All right. Uh, I think the sun's free agency period was probably going to be short and sweet. At least we expected it to be. And uh, I mean, they did what they had to do. Another team that I think made up pretty well with the hands that they were given. Uh, They retained the league MVP in John Cole Jones, for 2 years while most other players have only been signing for one, you know that's what all the cool kids are doing, but John Quill signed for 2 so that's pretty dope. Um and they replaced they they, they got an offensive upgrade at a spot that needed to be upgraded. And I know you're going to argue that Courtney Williams is not much of an offensive upgrade. Um but I'm not really seeing many other plausible options. I I don't really see any other routes that the sun could have taken given how how, how how much of a bind they were in from a salary perspective. Um from a talent perspective, I think Courtney Williams probably took a discount. Of course, the aforementioned off court issues definitely played a, a, a part in that. Um but I mean what else were they gonna were were they gonna give that money to Brienne January again in her final season and and try to run it back, you know, when that formula proved to like run into this massive roadblock in the postseason. I I don't know. Um and they probably like, weren't even,
1: even gonna be able to afford Brienne January, as we saw. Yeah
0: yeah, looking, I mean, Williams took less money than January ended up taking. So I gave the Sun an A-. minus. You know, I mean, it's not, it wasn't an exciting off season, but looking at where they are and what their roster looks like and what their salary cap looks like, I couldn't really find much to knock them for, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, the thing for me is just not being a believer in Courtney Williams. You know, I think the idea of of you know who fans think Courtney Williams is definitely fills the specifics of what this team was missing right an on ball creator you know a walking bucket as she's frequently called someone who can score for themselves can run a pick and roll can create for others a little bit you know this team was 10th in scoring from the pick and roll ball handler last season they were 10th in efficiency on jump shots off the dribble 10th in isolation 10th in transition frequency I guess the idea is Courtney Williams can, can help with all those things, but the reality is that she's probably not going to, right? Courtney Williams, 0.8 points per possession as a pick-and-roll ball handler, 0.78 points per possession on jump shots off the dribble. Neither of those figures are particularly very good. 21st percentile in isolation, 0.64. Those,
0: hang on. Were those numbers from last season?
1: They were from they were from 2021, yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, and then in transition, you know, we, we saw her be good in transition the last time she played for the Sun, but that was a few years ago when she was not particularly good. In transition last year, twenty six percentile. So I guess you know she. What this team really, really needed is some a guard who can really actually get to the rim, can kind of create from the perimeter. You know, get deep penetration, set others up for easy looks, kind of slide Jasmine Thomas into more of like a, a catch and shoot role. And you know, Breon January was not doing those things either. Like right, they they needed some kind of offensive upgrade. But I I just look at like. Leisure Clarendon got less money than Courtney Williams, and I think she would be such a better role for this the second guard in this offense. You know, someone who actually could slide Jasmine Thomas into more of a spot-up shooter role where, you know, that's Thomas's best skill set in my opinion. Someone who actually can score from the pick-and-roll 83rd percentile last year. Someone who actually can get to the basket and get deep penetration and finish at the rim. Clarendon had 60% more around the rim possessions in the half court than Courtney Williams, despite playing half as many minutes and Clarendon 81st percentile in jump shots off the dribble, but doesn't live on them in the way that Courtney Williams does. So, I mean, maybe laser Clarendon was just never going to leave Minnesota. Uh, and that's just a fit that, that he's super comfortable with. And honestly, maybe Clarendon saw Minnesota as just a better winning opportunity as well with Angel McCautry going there, but I think it is a superior fit to Williams. And when you consider that Clarendon took less money than Courtney Williams, you know, I, I still ended up giving this team a B, but I just don't think Williams is like this. Well, now they now their needs are fixed type of player.
0: Well, she doesn't fix all of their needs. That's for sure. Um, uh, the, the one thing I have to say about, you know, using those numbers from last season, I, I hear you. And, and Courtney Williams is a player who I think she just is what she is at this point. um That is a a player who looks for a mid-range jump shot off the dribble. And when she's hitting it, she looks great. When she's not hitting it, it, it sinks the team offense. Um, but I think I would rather look at those numbers from the last time she was in Connecticut because it's not like she was, it's not like she's over the hill now. Um, And it's not like it was that long ago. Um, Granted, that back then they were having uh, Shakina Strickland starting instead of Duana Bonner starting so I'm not sure how that's gonna work out so I I understand your, your trepidation but regarding Clarendon I think um I think you're right I think there's just no chance they were going to leave Minnesota um and if you look at the 90k that Clarendon did take or it was 90k right around there um if you look at the 90k that Clarendon did take I think that number would have been a lot higher from other teams but I I understand your I understand your points
1: all right well let's move on to Dallas here. They didn't do much, but pretty much everything they did was bad, in my opinion. I ended up going with a D for Dallas. Uh, D for Dallas. Um, (laughs) But, you know, picking up the fourth-year options in December for Satu Sabali, Ty Harris, and Bella Allery for seemingly no reason when they have, you know, until training camp or so to make that decision. You know, Sabali is a no-brainer, right? Obviously, you know, arguably the best player on your team, a future kind of all-league caliber player. But uh, Harris and Bella Allery kind of fringe roster players. I think I'm a pretty big fan of both of those players, but I don't really understand the urgency of picking up and protecting their fourth year options in December before their third season when you still had kind of months and months to to see how it played out. And then signing Arike Gumbawali to every penny of the full boat supermax, you Oof. know, f- for the maximum allowable four years when, you know, I don't think there's been a ton of development in her game. You know, she's a, a good player for sure. I think certain elements of of WNBA fandom are too low on Arike, but, you know, she's the same player as she was when she came into the league three years ago. And I think there are players that are worth kind of tying up this much of your salary cap for, but Arike Ogunbowale to me is not that level of player. And I have a hard time seeing her. It would surprise me if she became that level of player, kind of considering what we saw over the first, you know, three years of her career, which is, you know, the same player essentially each season.
0: Well, Uh, I, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. I I think this, that, that re-signing was, was basically saying, okay, Arike is our franchise player. And I don't know. I mean, in two of her seasons, she led them to the lottery and then a first round playoff exit. So, I mean, once again, it goes back to, is, is a a player you can build a contending team around? So far we have not seen that. Um, I think, you know, the wings didn't really have to do anything this off season, but I'd feel more confident about their trajectory if they did. You know, it still seems like they have too many assets. You know, regardless of whether or not you think they're any good or not, you know, there's there's the logjam in the front court. Just not enough minutes for all these players. And, and the backcourt. <laughs> and, and the the backcourt. Yeah, everywhere, pretty much. Um this wings offseason to me is basically saying that we have confidence that, you know, A, Arika Gunbawali is gonna turn into a franchise player, and B, Charlie Collier, Awaqueer, and Ty Harris will all be much better this season than they were last mm-hmm. offseason. It's not unreasonable to think that because, you know, they're still young players. Um, but I mean, ugh. granted, they, they, they still do have Mariah Jefferson uh, for guaranteed 180 k They are still paying Astu Dufall for 111 k which is a great example of the long-term effects of protected salaries gone wrong. So, I mean, any, any kind of movement they made would probably be trading one of their many draftees from 2020 and or 2021. And I guess they just don't want to do that, you know, but I, I don't, I don't agree with the process here. I I don't, I don't agree that, you know, this is some fail safe core of players full of surefire stars, you know, besides Saboli. I think we're both big fans of her, but uh, it's just, it it, it seems like like this is a team that needs an extra step to reach the next level. And I don't think they really took a step. It, It seems like they're content with where they're at, you know?
1: And they do still have two, two more first round picks this season, but, not a lot okay, of room and, you to, to put those players you know you think harris was maybe going to be or allery was going to be maybe kind of one of the fringe players that these first round picks would be replacing but yeah there was just no roster consolidation where i thought there might have been an opportunity and i guess there was there was nothing you could really point to and be like okay well at least they did x good thing but they did do a bunch of things where i was like well why did they do that i don't really think that makes any sense so what what did you end up going for for a letter grade?
0: I gave him with a C. I gave him a C um because I think their off season was completely average um because they didn't really do anything. Um but I can understand if you gave him a lower grade as well because it's they're in this position where you know you're expecting them to compete sometime in the future but you're not really seeing a an initiative in the front office to kind of push them towards that status.
1: All right, let's move on to the Indiana Fever here. Uh this was for me another A. Um yeah. You know, cutting another lottery pick Optics-wise is not great, but if Gondrazek is just not that player, you know, she's not that player, and, and I think keeping Sucker her cost. around just to avoid the, the bad optics exactly would, would not be good either, so um, cutting her is really a, a huge negative to their offseason last offseason, but maybe a slight positive for this offseason just because it... They sort of accepted kind of where they were and, and what that pick was, perhaps. You know, maybe she ends up still kind of being a productive player. But but the big move, obviously, you know, the one that's actually driving the grade here is the Bria Hartley trade, bringing in Bria Hartley, the seventh pick in the upcoming draft, the 20th pick in the upcoming draft, as well as a first-round pick and a second-round pick next year for Julie Alamon. I mean, we love the Julie Alamon trade for Chicago, right? But, but I can still love this for Indiana as well. I think with everything else Chicago did offseason— uh, did this offseason, I should say. I think it's just more likely that Chicago gets more seasons out of Julie Alamon than Indiana Absolutely. might have. And as much as we love Alamon, like throwing her into that deal to get an extra first and maybe even an extra second rather than just maybe, you know, one standalone 2023 from Phoenix for the Hartley deal, like that to me is still kind of worth it in Indiana's position to get an extra first this year from Chicago. So not overspending on any free agents, adding essentially four extra draft picks. You know, maybe you can knock them for signing 33 year old Emma Cannon to an above the training camp contracts type of figures. You know, she ended up getting 80K, and whatever minutes she'll be taking might be better suited for young players. But I mean, that that is kind of a minor thing. And kind of, you know, the good trade to me outweighs that significantly.
0: Significantly. Um, I gave the fever an A, which I, you know, I, I, I think that you're right. The Gundrychik, uh waving kind of overtook everything else the Fever did this offseason, but looking at this roster now, both where they're at and where they're headed, I think it's been a good off Um What we know about this franchise is that it's looking like a bad basketball team yet again, and no big name free agents signed there once again, and understandably so. So considering that, I think the Fever needed to do basically the opposite of what they did last offseason, which was give Big protected salary contracts to veteran players that weren't really going to move the competitive needle that much. And they did that. You know, they used their cap space wisely. I mean, obviously, Hartley is on an expensive contract, but hers is expiring after the season anyway, so I don't really care. Um, they acquired lots of draft capital, as you said, particularly two more first round picks. Uh, and this is, you know, a point where I want to bring this up again. We talked about this um, during our free agency newsers, but I think a, a, a common school of thought is that. Well, the Fever haven't drafted very well in the past, so why are they getting more first-round picks? It, that's like so what? You know, like like you say, more bites at the apple, more darts to throw at the dartboard. Um, it's still the best possible approach for Team in the Fever's position, even if you are making blind draft picks, which I I do not endorse. It's still better than giving, you know, these these big protected salaries to veteran players who are going to be. Playing big minutes on a
1: bad team, who are you know? suited to be, you know, maybe the sixth or seventh player on a, a really good team,
0: if that. Yeah. Um, also, factoring into this is they have a new GM and Lynn Dunn. She replaces Tamika Catchings as GM. Um, Dunn is a well-respected figure in women's basketball, has plenty of experience. Presumably, you know, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of this, but I'm going to assume that she's got connections with both front offices and players. Look, when when you have been a team that has been bad for a long time no big name free agents want to play for you and have a reputation of being poor drafters and player developers. They need something to sell. Uh, You know, this is another team where I think you could look at kind of a culture reset. Granted, maybe not as much as Atlanta because, you know, the same coaching staff is back once again, but they need something to sell both fans and players. You know, Lynn Dunn um, won a championship in Indiana and she knows basically how the the franchise used to operate. I mean, I, I can't speak on how they operate now, but I think such a such a thing is important for a team like Indiana. You need some sort of foundation before you take the big the, the big swing again in free agency. Because um, as right as of right now, no one wants to play there, whether it be big names, small names, anything like that. You know, they did James. They did claim uh, Jazz Jones off of waivers, which I think is another kind of cultural move.
1: A nice flyer, point. I think.
0: Yeah, a nice flyers. It's, it's like why not? um We talked about her last week. We're both fans of her. Um, obviously a, a, a good teammate and a fan favorite. So I think what Indiana is doing here is the right move. You know, they're establishing a foundation for the next time that they're going to be competitive. It's obviously not going to be this year. It may not be next year either, but they at least have a clear direction in which they're going. And that is moving back towards respectability. So I gave them an A minus.
1: All right, let's move on to Vegas here. Vegas, a little less exciting of an offseason than I had anticipated. I thought there was really room for Vegas to, to do some things, to bring in you know some high-profile players. They lost Liz Cambage. They re-signed Kia Stokes. They re-signed Raquana Williams. They re-signed, of course, their franchise player, Asia Wilson. Very, Kia very... Stokes?
0: Oh, no, Asia Wilson. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, they brought in Becky Hammond to be the new head coach as well. I ended up going with a C for Vegas because I thought there was... A lot of opportunity to bring in Do you know something. yeah bring in a tiffany hayes bring in a tina charles bring in another star player that that can in theory work well with asia wilson in the ways that people thought that liz cambage didn't even though i, I think that combination was very successful uh both anecdotally and, and just you know statistically the aces were very good with cambage on the court and with asia wilson and cambage on the court together but i get Sort of not bringing in that star and just kind of seeing what Asia Wilson being the the one sort of superstar on this team, kind of what that looks like. But I, I you know, the I guess one one thing I wanted to get into is like on the one hand, you know, with regards to Becky Hammond, I, I do believe like in a salary cap league, especially one in a league where the the salary cap is you know, relatively small relative to how these payers should be getting paid, you know, teams should pour all available resources into all the things that are kind of not part of the salary cap, you know, scouting, facilities, marketing, all the things that can kind of make your team stand out if you're willing to kind of put those resources into them. But on the other hand, I do understand kind of the tension of a coach making, you know, four times the amount of the maximum allowable salary for players when who
0: has zero WNBA coaching experience. who
1: has, but even if it was, you know, Bill Laimbeer or a coach with four rings, like, you know, four times the amount uh, when, when it's a player's league, right? Good coaches are not going to do anything in professional basketball without, without good players and good players yeah. can win with kind of average coaches, I think. So players are the one driving attendance. They're the one driving marketing campaigns and they're the ones winning games. So, and none of this is even to kind of, you know, bring up that they are replacing an unproven coach with a a wildly successful or replacing a wildly successful coach with an unproven coach, uh, one that obviously, you know, people believe in a lot, but it's still worth noting, you know, the Raquana Williams thing, if we're just considering kind of the on-court production, makes sense. She was important for them. She, you know, she might not close every game for this team in the regular season, but we know now after three straight playoffs that Jackie Young is, she's a regular season player. Against the best teams in the biggest moments, Williams is going to be on the floor alongside Kelsey Plum and Chelsea Gray over Jackie Young. But yeah, I just think, you know, there was an opportunity to really add some talent in this team instead of kind of just going with the addition by subtraction route. And they just ended up going, you know, using that on on Kia Stokes, who, you know, no disrespect is probably a veterans minimum player at this point, or, or slightly above that. And Raquana Williams, who, of course, you know, has her own off the court baggage as well.
0: So I don't really care about the contracts to Williams and Stokes because it's like you know Stokes is one year Williams is unprotected so it's like whatever but I totally agree with you I there was a huge opportunity here it's not often you see a really good team that is going to be really good again next season have the amount of cap space that the Aces did even if they weren't able to bring back Cambage or Cambage didn't want to go back or, or whatever the story was I think there was a real opportunity here to add another star free agent. Like why not take everyone's signing for one year anyway. Why not take a shot at you know, Tina Charles or Tiffany Hayes or or, or some really impact starting level player who could address things? Because right now it's basically when I look at this ACES off season, it's basically a championship hopeful that did nothing while its primary competition got better. So I gave him a C minus. Um, I wasn't impressed with this, and I don't know. They probably wanted to sign another free agent, um, but they didn't. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I was not very excited by this this Ace's off season though.
1: So I think the next team is probably. I don't. I feel like there's there's a lot of uh, different perspectives. I feel like people are torn on this uh, Sparks, you know, off season period. I think people view it as a, a highly volatile off season in terms of kind of the, the players that they brought in, but I was very high what on this. Uh, what about you?
0: I was too. I give them an A minus. Um, this is another team where heading into the off season, they weren't really in a position to do much. You know, they already had their books tied up with a maximum amount of protected salaries, but you know, they were presented with several opportunities to improve and they did a good job of jumping on them. And, you know, I think that shows good, uh, good maneuverability, good. Uh, what do I want to say here? Um, quick thinking quick and effective thinking by this front office. Obviously Liz Cambage has been saying for a very long time that she wants to play in LA and it's easier to acquire free agents when they want to play in your city. But in order to acquire her, they still need to make the cap space necessary to, you know, to do so. And they did that, you know, they, they flipped Gabby Williams, who I think was a bad fit on this team for Katie Lou Samuelson, who was a better fit on this team and a draft pick. So good move there. Um, They took a flyer on a potential franchise guard in Kennedy Carter. Will she reach that status? I don't know, but I think the process was good. And they also filled out their rush with Jordan Canada on a one year deal, making about half of what her predecessor, Erica Wheeler, made last season. So that's cool. So yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that I could really knock them for is is giving up that twenty twenty three pick. As you always say, as you like to say, disaster potential is very, very high with this team. And I think if the Sparks don't hit their ceiling right away, they could find themselves Back, back at square one in 2023 with the amount of salaries they have coming off the books. But as for now, they did a heck of a job of, of improving significantly and improving quickly, you know, on the spot. Quick turnaround time making these uh, trades, making these signings. So I gave them an A-. minus.
1: Yeah, I think this is the first time that we agreed to the letter in the, um, I don't know, whatever a minus. You gave them an A- too? I went with an A-. That's what I'm trying okay. to say. I thought, you know, the Gabby Williams trade was great. They got a in my opinion, a better, less expensive player that, as you were kind of saying, fills a need rather than kind of replicating skills that they already have on the roster, which I think Gabby Williams was kind of in the latter group. Yeah, there's some serious upside with that first-round pick they gave up alongside Erica Wheeler, um, but I think, you know, Carter, Kennedy Carter is worth that and freeing up the the cap space that they were uh, doing in that trade to kind of bring in Liz Cambage, you know, I think that's worth it as well. Canada, I, I do just get the feeling that they're kind of going to overextend her effectiveness. You know, to me, she's pretty much like a straight backup point guard. And, you know, in L.A. with the local support she has, you know, I feel like they, they might try to kind of close her in more games than would be effective in, you know, to to maximize winning, I guess. But even that, you know, one year, less than 100K, I, I can't dislike it too much, even if, you know, I'm not the biggest Canada believer. And, you know, this is maybe kind of just from a talent perspective, like I'm, I'm sure I'm overlooking something, but like the most talented team that can also bring in 12 players, you know, it feels like everyone is going to come in with 11 this year. And because of the the amount that they were able to bring in for Liz Cambage and, you know, swapping some of those more expensive players for younger less expensive better players uh for them to be able to carry 12 i think is you know that that's um a notable check in the in the pro column for me at least yeah, yeah
0: no that's that, that's a good one that's something i uh i had but i forgot to mention but yeah you're right they acquired that first run pick for this season and they will actually be able to use it so congratulations
1: yeah and to be able to bring in liz cambage without you know, getting a sign and trade with Vegas and adding on that first round pick and, you know, maybe one of their good players and stuff like that. You know, I thought they just, they did great all along and they got Liz in the building. You know, I'm sure she'll get a raise next off season when their books are a little cleaner and, you know, they can do some things again in that, that off season when we kind of expected them to kind of do the things that they did this year, but they, they made it happen this season and I got to give them credit, but uh, we can move on to Minnesota. Um, I feel like we've been saying this a lot, this show, but a team that did not really have a lot of maneuverability to kind of make a lot of different things happen
0: well it's almost like a hard cap is bad um i gave the links of b minus but it almost seems more like an incomplete grade to me because like they made more moves than they can currently afford obviously getting carlton bridget carlton on the reserve qualifying offer was brilliant but how are they going to roster her um they got the big one signing Asia McCarthy for 130k i think it's good um signing glacier Clarendon for 90k was really good especially an unprotected contract that's beyond me and that's that's why i think that Clarendon was just dead set on on returning to minnesota but um i think mccautry in particular is a ceiling raising move so like they have a lot they've made a lot of good value deals but they're still missing that one move to kind of tie it all together you know um i think for me it's it's a tentative b-minus with lots of room for improvement if they can maybe uh pull off a draft a trade you know maybe packaging that number eight pick with Natalie Achanwa to get that contract off the books um, not sure who has the cap space or the willingness to do that right now so I think that was kind of a I think that was almost a missed opportunity for Minnesota like they maybe could have done that earlier in the offseason now they may have to give up a little bit more in order to do so but yeah you know it, the individual deals for me are not necessarily adding up at this point but there's still room for them to do so if that makes sense.
1: Sure. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, this offseason sort of mirrors Chicago and Phoenix. You know, this team has this closing window. Let's push all our chips in to do what we can for our our veteran. That's kind of near the end of, of her run here. But I, I don't think even with Angel McCutry, like the championship upside is really there for this team. Um, but they also didn't really mortgage anything in the future. And they still brought everyone back. I, I kind of wonder how all of Powers, McBride... Angel McCautry, Bridget Carlton, Nafisa Collier, if she's available this season. Like, how do all those players get enough minutes? I I don't think Chera Reeve would be wise to go back to, like, the aerial powers, that point guard experiment again. Um, You know, maybe Fee is just a full-time four with this roster. You know, bringing back Lazio, like you said, bringing back Sill, bringing in Angel on a high upside flyer without really having to kind of depend on her, right, because they already have a ton of depth at that position and you know they can play her similar minutes that that she played in 2020 which is not very high uh I went with a B because just like you I just feel like there was something kind of missing that really kind of vaulted them you know right they brought everyone back and they added Angel McCautry that should be like a home run of an offseason but there was still kind of that one thing that was missing to really kind of elevate them into you know serious title contenders for me I think you know
0: I, one thing I I neglected to mention was that Obviously, everyone knows about it by now, but we need to man- we need to at least mention it. Uh, Nafisa Kelly is expecting her first child, so congratulations. Um, in the meantime, what's going to happen with her um, regarding you know both the roster spot and and minutes? Um, I don't think they would be very wise to suspend her rookie skill contract, um, but it's, it seems like that is one one thing that we're still kind of waiting on. But yeah, like as you said again, um, just something to tie it all together.
1: Let's move on to the New York Liberty. I think probably a team that had higher aspirations and what they were really able to kind of, you know, pull together this offseason.
0: Yeah. They filled a need and they retained an important free agent for multiple seasons on a team-friendly deal no less. I mean, you don't usually see players taking less money in the second year of their contracts than in their first year of their contracts, but it just seems like this free agency period was overwhelming or not not overwhelming, underwhelming for the Liberty. Um, I feel like they raised their floor but not their ceiling. Stephanie Dawson and Rebecca Allen, obviously, both fine players, and they will make the Liberty better, but probably not significantly better. You know, one thing, one, one quote that I, I want to go back to is, I forget who said it, somebody in the Liberty front office or ownership, but they said, okay, the hybrid rebuild is over. Okay, so, like, this is the core of players that's going to
1: compete? I don't think so. I agree with you. Um, I, I don't think so. You know, obviously, in this offseason, they kind of struck out on the big fish, right? Stewie and Lloyd, who they both met with or who they met with both of. I don't really know that they were linked to to anybody else, or they were really in on any of the other big free agents, at least that I remember. You know, Dolson is a good player, right? And and not very good teams need more good players, but Dolson is one more good player on a team that needs three or four more good players. And maybe two of those come internally from Maureen Johannes coming back, which, you know, we haven't really got any word on. Uh, Justin Willoughby returning from injury, but, you know, maybe not. And maybe this team is, is still a team with, You know, six good players instead of five, right? But most of my problems, I think, with this roster construction don't really have to do with this offseason, right? And I don't think Dolson move came with a ton of opportunity cost for future offseasons because of how tied up they already are. You know, the Howard contract is probably bad, but, you know, that wasn't this offseason. And I think they did have some room to do bad things, and they didn't do bad things. You know, bring in Myesha Hines-Allen on a lower max or chase after Diamond Shields on big money. So this team... They didn't kind of, you know, perhaps overspend the way they did last offseason. Um, and I do think my grade will probably go up, you know, a half letter grade or, or something like that if they are able to bring M- Marino Johannes back because, you know, they just that
0: would be a ceiling raising.
1: Move. Yeah, they, they just do need a little bit more punch, you know, from kind of the middle of this roster here. Um, but absent that, you know, they didn't blow me away and, and they they didn't make any bad decisions, but they didn't also completely strike out. So um, I ended up going with another straight B for this team.
0: Okay, I guess I was a little more harsh. I give him a C plus, but I think our thought process is the same. It almost seems to me like they're just banking on great development, great internal development, and, and, and improvement from Sabrina Ionescu. And while I think that's a realistic thing, I don't think it's something to bank an entire offseason on, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible, but... And we said this kind of last year, right? Like, Benajelani is going to be Benajelani and good pretty much every game, and, and the Liberty actually... They need that kind of extra juice from Sabrina to give Laney some support, and they're pretty good when, when they get that, but to kind of bank on Sabrina UNESCO to just be, you know, one of the the four or five best point guards in the league or whatever, you know, it's kind of a lot to ask for and probably not not too realistic, but uh, let's move on to Phoenix here. Obviously, a, a lot. A lot, yes. Um, I went pretty positive for the Phoenix Mercury here. Maybe not as positive as others, but I ended up going with a B B+. They... Traded Bria Hartley, of course, for a pair of seconds and next year's first, which that in itself, okay, they they had uh, this this maximum contract that probably was not going to play up to the the level of a maximum contract next season, and they gave up two seconds in a first round pick to give themselves an opportunity to do something else. That that in itself is, is good, right? I would would you say that yeah, that is yeah, that good. too much to give up for that?
0: Uh, I think, you'd, well, let's let's look at it in conjunction with. Um, the acquisition of their, their two big name free agents and Diamond and Shields and Tina Charles. They needed a way, like, I think both of those, those players were kind of sold on playing in Phoenix. Um But they needed a way to kind of, you know, it really sucks for Hartleys because it's basically, they basically said like, okay, we'd rather have, Di- we'd rather pay Diamond and Shields than you. So go play for Indiana. Like that, that's unfortunate. But anyway, um they needed to find a way to move that contract. And
1: they did that. Yep, and they brought in Tina Charles. They brought in Diamond De Shields. Tina Charles on a well below market rate deal, obviously. Oh, yes. Uh and Diamond De Shields on, you know, 150k or so per season. They got a third round pick for Kia Vaughn instead of outright cutting her. I know, you know, third round picks are not very valuable, but they they could have just had to cut her and they didn't, so that's a win. They were able to bring back Sophie Cunningham for 75k. I'm a little surprised there was She could
0: have got more elsewhere. Yeah, I think so. Positive.
1: Um you know, they were able to bring back Shea Petty. They took a nice flyer on Liana Odom. So, you know, they are pretty much going to have to have a 10-player roster because they did re-sign Kia Nurse, who, you know, she suffered her torn ACL late in the playoffs. Maybe she makes it back for the very, very end of the season. But, you know, she'll miss most of it, if not all of the season. But because of, you know, what the contract that Tina Charles took, they do still have 84K for the last spot um, that that's so far unsigned. And it doesn't have to be you know, the zero to two year rookie that they thought we, we thought that this team might have to kind of fill out the whole roster of, you know, at the beginning of this offseason. So the discount that Charles took allowed them to, to maybe use that last spot on a real player. They haven't done it yet, but they have the opportunity to. I do think there's like a 30% chance that if this team actually makes noise in the playoffs, like Diamond to Shields is still not closing games for them. Uh, and it ends up, you know, may, maybe being petty or Cunningham, like those players are just established, role players who can effectively take a back seat to better players in a way Diamond DeShield just hasn't shown yet. Obviously, DeShield has a higher ceiling, but if you're the fifth player, you have to play like a fifth player, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think that's unfair to say. Um, but I think overall, like, I just tend to be a little bit more, you know, like, I don't necessarily think this will work, but when you're at the point that this franchise is at, you know, two Franchise superstars in Taurasi and Griner whose days with the team are are potentially winding down, you know, certainly for Taurasi, possibly for Griner. I think it's okay to just do whatever you have to do to maximize that window that you have. And, you know, the Tina Charles move is a really high upside move. The Deshields move is a move I'm a a little lower on but could work out. Obviously, you know, she could, you know, be the player that we all thought she was going to be in, you know, 2018 or 2019 when she made, I guess, 2019 when she made all WNBA especially when you look at kind of how things were looking in this offseason, completely capped out, looking like they had no wiggle room whatsoever. So yeah, this might be like a first round and out type roster composition, but it also might click. And Charles and Griner and Bree Turner, like those bigs all complement each other. You know, they managed to be eighth in defense rather than 11th. And the offense is just so unstoppable that they're, they're kind of true title contenders. And, you know, sorry to go a little long here and ramble, but I, I guess my biggest problem with the off-season is just I don't believe Diamond to Shields is that kind of fifth starter on, like, a championship-caliber team, like, doing, you know, role-player things well enough and being productive in that kind of fifth starter role, but she probably has a better chance of doing that than Bria Hartley did, and that was kind of the other option, right? Yeah.
0: The thing, I like, Diamond to Shields, her contract is, for me, is just, it's eh. You know, I mean, she... Has certainly underachieved the past two seasons but it's if you look at that contract really relatively speaking it's not an albatross um I understand like where you'd be coming from like her, her current fit on the on the team but going back to what you were saying about them you know going all in because that's clearly the goal here um I don't see much risk at all with what they accomplished this off season. obviously getting Tina Charles for 108k is a huge steal um the fit with griner is 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 questionable but but it's it's certainly better than what they had last season, at least offensively. Um, so I think if you're gonna go all in here, Phoenix did a really darn good job, and I'm not sure if they could have done any better. As you said, um, Terazi and BG. You know, I'm, I'm not sure about Griner, but we're we're pretty sure Tarazi you know, isn't gonna be playing for much longer. You're, you're not. It's not like you're selling the farm here. It's not like you're 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 tying your hands with impossible to move salaries. It's not like you're giving up your first-round pick for the next five seasons. You just took a roster that went to the finals last season and made it better. So I have absolutely no issue with what the Mercury did this, this offseason.
1: So what did you end up going with? I give him an A. All right. Let's move on to the Seattle Storm. What did you think about them?
0: Mm, I gave him a B. You know, I mean, they did what they had to do to retain their core of players for at least one more season. I think, you know, I, I think we both agree that choosing to use the core designation on Jewel Lloyd over Brienne Stewart was the right decision. Especially considering, you know, Stuart, she only seemed willing to re-sign for one uh, one season anyway, given the um, the upcoming what do you call that uh, prioritization prioritization clause. Yeah, that's a that's another topic for another day. Um, but at the same time, it's like was there really any question that the storm would be able to bring them all back? Though it's I, I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm a little uh, cynical on that. Um, but looking at what else they did, um, I like the Brian January signing. As I said previously, it gives them kind of that defensive dog that they've been needing to take the pressure off Jewel Lloyd in particular on defense. Um, a, a, an off ball guard who maybe can handle it a little bit, but particularly on defense, is willing to embrace the grind and, and, and chase chase around the best perimeter scorers uh, all day while you can save Jewel Lloyd, who's a very good defender, don't get me wrong, but save her energy more for offense. On the other hand, wasn't so hot on the Gabby-Williams trade. I'm not sure how it really helps Seattle beyond, you know, obviously it's going to add some athleticism on the perimeter, but it's also going to give opponents another player to help off of. And when you've got players like Stewart and Lloyd, I don't think you really want that. Um, I'm not much of a Katie Lou Samuelson fan, but I think she fits better on the Storm than Williams does. And they also had to give up a 2022 first round pick to do this. And my question is why? Like, what's what's the thought process there? So I don't know. Um, and then the big one, you know, the big signing beyond their, their core players is extending Mercedes Russell three years guaranteed for $160,000 each year. That's a pretty big investment for a center who, in my opinion, you know, despite her strengths is probably still in the bottom half of starting centers in the WNBA. I mean, I get that you need size in this league and Russell is a proven player, but it almost seems like the storm we're bidding against somebody else for Russell here. I, I, I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah. I agree with all that. Um, and especially, you know, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but given as a Magbager and kind of the upside there for the the three years element, I think is almost more interesting than the actual dollar amount. It's like, I would want to have Russell back, but that figure is, it's eh. a lot, especially, you know, like, like we said before, kind of, it it might be an overpay relative to the salary cap and kind of how she fits into the modern WNBA and what it means for the rest of the, the big rotation. Um, but to go back to something else you said, I do kind of get how you could look at the Seattle Storm roster and think, okay, we do kind of need an athleticism upgrade on this roster, right? Sue Bird, Katie Lou, Steph Talbot, Epiphany Prince at her age, Brian January at her age. Like I get looking at this team and thinking, okay, we need, we need another A-plus athlete in Gabby Williams. But the other side of that is just Gabby Williams has not been a very good WNBA player to this point in her career. You know, she's only heading into her... Her age twenty five season so there's there's room to improve but you know her overseas numbers are not positive indicators for her shooting her free throw numbers throughout her career are not positive indicators for her shooting and if you're going to play Gabby Williams with Mercedes Russell or Ezzy Magbegor or Brian January Epiphany Prince like it's going to be very very hard to score with you know combinations of those players. And like you said, Katie Lou was just, in my opinion and yours, a better fit for this roster. You know, I think January and Talbot are both better players than Gabby Williams. I do think, you know, one thing you didn't mention, I do think they deserve some credit for not giving Jordan Canada like a contract commensurate of the Sue Bird heir apparent. You okay, know, yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think there was still some belief coming into 2021 that that was Jordan Canada and she was going to kind of, you know, take over as the next great storm point guard. And, you know, I think that that ship has just kind of sailed. And the other thing that, you know, just like we kind of said with Vegas, I think especially, you know, where we are now knowing that Sue Bird took the veteran minimum, like there was an opportunity to bring in like a real a real player here, you know, a real kind of fifth closer with, with some star power. And, you know, I, I just don't think Gabby Williams and Breon January are that level of players. As much as I love the January signing, you know, if, if you're telling me that, Okay, you're you're gonna bring in you're gonna bring Stewart back at the max, you're gonna bring Lloyd back at the max, but Sue Bird is taking the veterans minimum. I'm like, okay, we're we're getting like some you're we getting yeah. an Angel McCautry or, you know, Tina Charles or one of those really big players here. And, you know, for that to be Gabby Williams in and three years of Mercedes Russell, I you know, there's a little bit of an opportunity cost, I think, but they didn't lose anyone, so there is a floor to how low this grade can be, and I ended up going with a B minus.
0: I gave him a b but i think our thought process are basically the same you know one name you mentioned that i want to i want to bring up because this is interesting um epiphany prince unprotected 115k that's that do you think she's gonna make the team
1: i think now she will i i probably i was more hesitant you know when sue bird's number was kind of undetermined but you know for a veterans minimum i think i think they have enough room i haven't double checked but
0: okay all right because i just wanted because it's not often you see um an unprotected salary for that amount of money so I, i'm just you know, if typically, like like we saw with Keevan for Phoenix, uh, for instance, if you need cap space, that's almost certainly going to be the first thing to go. So, all right, uh, moving on to our final team, Washington Mystics. Well, I mean, it, 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 they went into the offseason almost certain to uh, lose at least one of their uh, front court players and Tina Charles, Emma Mieseman, and Maisha Heinz-Allen. Uh, they re-signed Maisha Heinz-Allen. I don't know if that was the choice, um, but that's what happened.
1: Yeah, I think, th- I think this was probably the team I was most interested in kind of what you thought of their offseason. So they, okay. they brought back Heinz Allen, you know, the youngest of their free agents, um, I guess, which is notable. You know, I, I don't give them a ton of credit for winning the lottery, but perhaps that played a part in their decision-making, you know, kind of how they chose to to build out the rest of this roster. And, you know, Washington, I think there, there was not a lot of opportunity to do a lot of creative things, you know, with a bunch of um, – protected veteran contracts already on the books and this team, you know, outside of their number one pick, they're not a team traditionally that has a lot of draft capital because they they use it in other ways. And I think how you feel about this offseason just depends on how you're going to feel, like how you feel about Maisha Hines-Allen. Honestly, less money than I thought she would get in restricted free agency. I thought she was going to get the lower max, but still more than kind of, I would want to give her if I was building a team. And to Washington's credit, and this has probably played into some of their thinking, Hines-Allen is you know, a more dependable presence in the WNBA than Emma Misaman is probably. Misaman has sat out two of the last four WNBA seasons. But, you know, I'm just kind of looking at this roster construction, and and I think they have still a, a decently high ceiling for for this year, at least, while they have everybody. And, you know, Deladon's on the books for two more seasons, uh, this season and, and next. But, you know, 25-year-old Atkins, 26-year-old Meisha Hines-Allen, and, you know, 22-year-old Ryan Howard, let's say, as sort of the core building blocks of this team I'm not sure they have that player that's kind of really going to be like the driver of efficient offense for themselves and for others you know three seasons from now when maybe Deladon is gone
0: yeah that's legitimate concern uh you know for whatever reason I stupidly did not factor in the uh, lottery uh pick that they uh, the number one overall pick that they won um which does not count towards or against my grade but I mean I just look at this off season; it's just for the Mystics, it was just so average. I don't know if, like, okay, so I'll, I'll give them this. If both Tina Charles and Emma Miesman were just totally bent upon leaving, like there was no chance they were coming back, I understand the Heinz Allen contract. But the fact of the matter is, you,
1: you probably couldn't lose all three, right? It would, you could
0: not lose all three. No, that would be a disaster. But at the same time, the, the fact of the matter is that they had three players who essentially played the same position, all being free agents, and they retained the worst one. You know, no disrespect to my Heinz Allen, but. Three years protected. I mean, I, I, I kind of feel as if the three years and the protected part, you said she's making less than you anticipated, and that's neither here nor there for myself. And, and
1: Eric, but, I would also just add not only the worst one, but the one that fits the worst with Elena Don, if, if she's yeah,
0: healthy. Particularly on defense. But um, I, I can't help but wonder if like this was something that Heinz Allen's camp, which to their credit, I mean, they, they should absolutely do that. Kind of strong-armed the Mystics into doing at least the three years protected part because it was like, okay, well, we know you're losing Tina Charles and Emma Miesem, and so you better pay up, or you better give this give my player job security at the very least, you know. There are heftier contracts out there, but given this team's trajectory, it almost seems like they're kind of betting on Heinz Allen being, if not their next franchise player, like their next number two player, and I don't think she is that. But, you know, the other signing they made, uh, Elizabeth Williams for one year, 90K, I think that was a good signing. It almost seems like Williams is kind of the consolation prize among centers this offseason, you know? Uh, kind of waiting for Mercedes Russell and Stephanie Dolson to make their decisions. Williams, significantly underpaid compared to those, and I think that undersells her value significantly. If you look at her fit on this team, an offense is going to be surrounded by shooters, and a defense she's going to have at least a lot of help on the perimeter, right? You know, keep in mind they're getting Alicia Clark back. Doesn't factor into my grade either, but it's going to factor into where the Mystics rank, at least as a defense th- this coming season, and the other thing is they put together a pretty solid training camp roster. Um, I, that's not going to weigh too heavily, but if you look at Walker Kimbrough, Tiana Hawkins, Megan Gustafson, these are all. The at least gives them some options, some veteran options. We are going to have some continuity, um, rather than just handing these spots out to a bunch of really young, unproven players. So, I don't know. You know, I think at the I, end I think of the day, that was
1: kind of more of a a demerit in my grade though, because they basically. Really? kind of have no young sort of high upside flyers on this team despite signing a million training camp contracts you know what well, I mean? how,
0: how are they going to get those
1: well it's like signing young kind of unproven players you know okay you know mashita is 28 walker kimbrough is 27 you know gustafson is 25 but we we kind of know well who she is you know what i mean so that is true
0: that is true i guess i, I looked at it in a more positive lens but i mean for the mystics offseason I did not think it was that positive. I give him a C because it was just very average. They didn't do a heck of a lot better to get... They didn't do a heck of a lot to get better right now. And they also gave out a contract that could end up being, quote-unquote, bad. So, like, down the line. So, if Elena Deladon is not healthy, I think this offseason is going to look pretty bad on the Mystics part. So, I don't know. What,
1: what did you give them? I also went with a straight C.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's just a lot of... A lot of things that could potentially go wrong with this. Not that it's Washington's fault. I don't know. For some reason, I just expected more. Regardless, uh, fun exercise as always. And I'm looking forward to seeing how wrong we are uh, in future future seasons.
1: All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts Manager. And we'll be back next week getting into some team outlooks All right. Take care, everybody.